Hi, this is Terrell Somerville, the lead pastor of Freedom Church. Welcome to our podcast. We hope you enjoy the message today and that you'd also take time to get plugged in to your local church. We believe you can't do life alone, so we learn to do life together. I also want to thank our givers who make this podcast possible. If you are blessed by this ministry, please consider subscribing, giving, and sharing this with your friends and family. God bless you. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Thanks for joining us again in the middle. My name is Wes Buchanan, and I want to start tonight by asking a simple question. Have you ever asked yourself, what kind of friend am I? Now, it seems like a pretty simple question, right? Some of us are social butterflies, and they have multiple friends, and they really thrive on the interaction of all those different people. Then there are others that maybe we just have a few friends, and we just value those more intimate relationships and growing really close with one another. I don't think there's a right or a wrong, but there's a common thread between both types of people is you want to be that person that always offers the right thing to say at the right time. You want to be the one to smooth over all the bumps in the road and to make people feel that much better. And if you're not careful though, sometimes that mindset might allow your ego to creep in just a little bit and suddenly you can make other people's problems be more about you than about them. And my personality is that I like to fix things. I like to just find an issue, create a solution, execute it. Whether it's working on trucks, cars, organization, whatever, I really thrive on the fix. And if my plan doesn't go quite according to plan, man, that can really get me frustrated. Now, I do understand that that's a character flaw that I'm actively trying to work on. It's something that I always have to sort of pay attention to to make sure that it doesn't get in the middle of uh, my social interactions. So tonight, I want to take a look at the book of Job. This is a really interesting book. This, in this book, you're essentially seeing God proving to Satan that there are still people in that broken world that were still faithful to him, that still obeyed him. And um, he actually asked Satan, uh, have you noticed my servant Job? In fact, in Job 1.8, God called Job blameless, a man of complete integrity, and even calls him the finest man on earth. So uh, Satan indeed hadn't noticed Job and basically replied to God, the only reason that he is faithful to you is because you've protected him. You've allowed him just to become prosperous, amass tons of wealth and family. That's why he trusts you. If you take all of that stuff away, he will curse you. And God basically said, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. You can do anything you want to to Job. Just don't kill him. So Satan proceeds to take Job's possessions, his health, his family. He was in the lowest part of his life. He'd never felt pain like that. But even in the middle of all that, with boils covering his entire body, he still remained faithful to God. Now, Satan is a tricky one. He can turn the good intentions of others, well-meaning people, and he can begin to twist those intentions to serve him. And in Job chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, you can begin to see the frustrations of Job's wife. Uh, She's seen where he's at. She doesn't understand his mentality. And um, actually, if we go into uh, into the scripture, it says, Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. 
But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. Now, never fear, Job's friends were on the way. In chapter 2, verse 11, we uh, see this. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuat, and Zophar the Namathite. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Now, reading this as we round out chapter 2, it looks as though Job's friends picked up sort of where his wife had fallen short. Sometimes all we need to do is just sit and be. Now, Job was shaken in a place he had never been before. He was in uh, still a lot of pain, but he was still remaining faithful to God. So his friends in that position, their job was to simply remind Job that God is still there. He is still the same God that he was before. And even though he's going through these trials, God will still remain. And their job was to remind him of that constantly, blocking the, those uh, spiritual stones that are to be thrown at his heart. That was their job in that moment. So in chapter 4, when you see all this happening, we see Job begin to waver just a little bit. Like I said before, he's experiencing a lot of pain. He's, he's going through things he's never experienced before. And uh, he's sort of letting those uh, feelings and that hurt spill out of him in words. And at this point, this is where we see his friends begin to get a little irritated. They decide to step in and fix things. We're tired of seeing where he's at, so we're going to show him what he's missing. We're going to find these things and we're going to get it fixed. So when Eliphaz, he's the first one to speak, he begins by sort of gently insinuating that maybe the reason he's facing this is because of some secret sin. So, you know, Joe uh, counters that and then Bildad speaks up and, you know, probably a, a little bit more forcefully, he escalates the accusation. And, you know, in that, a little bit later on, you see Joe begin to craft a plea to God. And so this is where Zophar, his third friend, he gets tired of hearing all of this. And at this point, he's going to give Joe the unedited opinion. He, the kid gloves are off. He's going to let him have it. In chapter 11, we see this. Shouldn't someone answer this torrent of words? Is a person proved innocent just by a lot of talking? Should I remain silent while you babble on? When you mock God, shouldn't someone make you ashamed? You claim, my beliefs are pure and I am clean in the sight of God. If only God would speak. If only He would tell you what He thinks. If only He would tell you the secrets of wisdom. For true wisdom is not a simple matter. Listen, God is doubtless punishing you for less than you deserve. Can you solve the mysteries of God? Can you discover everything about the Almighty? Such knowledge is higher than the heavens. And who are you? It's deeper than the underworld. What do you know? It is broader than the earth and wider than the sea. If God comes and puts a person in prison or calls the court to order, who can stop him? For he knows those who are false and he takes note of their sins. An empty-headed person won't become wise any more than a wild donkey can bear a human child. If only you would prepare your heart and lift your hands to Him in prayer. 
Get rid of your sins and leave all inequity behind you. Then your face will brighten with innocence. You will be strong and free of fear. You will forget your misery. It will be like water flowing away. Your life will be brighter than the noonday. Even darkness will be as bright as morning. Having hope will give you courage. You will be protected with the rest and, sa- and rest and safety. You will lie down unafraid. You uh, and many will look upon you for help. But the wicked will be blinded. They will have no escape. Their only hope is death. So as the book of Job continues on, we see uh, ultimately God restoring Job. He restores his uh, possessions, his family, and actually his health. But the key thing to understand here is that this all happened in God's time. Uh, The actions of his friends had no bearing on how fast this happened. It happened in God's time. This was God's work. So Job's friends missed the mark. They went from being with him and sharing with his agony and anguish to have an attitude of, I'm going to fix this. So this was an incredibly arrogant of Job's friends to assume that they knew why he was suffering. And playing armchair quarterback, we can sort of sit back and, you know, we can point at their uh, shortcomings, but everyone, I got to tell you, we've all done this at one time or another. We've all played that blame game and we've all decided that we know why someone is and where they're at and that we could fix it if they would just listen to us. And that's kind of one thing that's weird is that we assume the cause of someone else's suffering, but in many times we don't even determine our own. We're just there. This lifetime we're all in has its peaks and valleys. We've heard Pastor T from stage from the stage say many times that you're either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or a storm is on its way. That's just how the world deals its hands. But we are not of the world. We are called to be different. As Christians, uh, brothers and sisters, we are to build each other up. We are to disciple one another. We are to strengthen one another. We have to hold each other accountable, yes, but never in condemnation. We have to just hold each other to that standard that God has set before us and help each other along the way, not condemning and not assuming that we know all of their issues. But there is a wonderful example of uh, a great friendship a little bit further on in the New Testament. So check out Luke 5, starting in chapter 18. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside of Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof, took off some tiles, and then they lowered the sick man on his mat down to the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, and so he asked him, Why do you question this in your hearts? It is easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk. So I will prove prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turns to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. You see, this is how it's done. We don't necessarily know a lot of the background about these guys, but what we do know from what we read is that they weren't trying to question why the guy was the way he was, why their friend was uh, paralyzed. They weren't questioning that. All they were doing was trying to get him to Jesus. They didn't care where he was at. 
They even went as far as to rip a hole in a roof and lower him down. That's all they cared about. That's all that their mind was. And ultimately it comes down to how you focus your effort. Do you wanna focus your effort on building others up, reminding them of Jesus, reminding them of that they hope that they have that this world cannot uh, quench, that hope is only in Jesus, or do you wanna spend your time breaking people down, trying to fix things yourself in matters that maybe be, uh, beyond our power. So um, Proverbs 18, 21 tells us that the tongue has the power of life and death. So in the words of the bravest and most worthy knight in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, choose wisely. Um, be that friend to others, and in doing so, you will show God's love. That love is a love that cannot come from the way the world tells us to be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this night. Thank you for uh, an opportunity to represent you, just to share a little bit about what your word has spoken to me, Lord. Uh, thank you for all the lessons that uh, are in here. And thank you, Lord, for the ones that even the, the book of Job that I think a lot of people will sort of um, bypass, Lord, just because they, they read of everything that happens to them, Lord. But there's always a, a nice piece of wisdom in there, Lord. And I thank you so much for that word. Lord, I pray that you uh, be with everyone listening to this and even those out in the world that may not have heard this, Lord. I pray that you uh, give them that peace and allow them to uh, be that friend that you're calling them to be, to show your love to those around them. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do and all of your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So thank you for spending this evening with me. Until we meet in the middle next time, good night. Hello, Pastor Jim here. I just wanted to come on and thank you for listening and help answer the question, what next? If you gave your life to Jesus today, we would love to take that journey with you. Simply text the word SAVED to 615-900-2176. And make sure to follow us through the week on our social media accounts at Freedom Church TN. We love you. Have a blessed week.